It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. An absolutely beautiful day outside. I hope you're getting a chance to enjoy it. We are at the beginning of Memorial Day weekend. I'll be here till 3 o'clock and then Curtis Lee comes in and joins me for left versus right. We're going to be talking about the latest in the migrant crisis. I'm going to try to explain to him that these migrants are not illegal aliens or illegally in any, or illegal in any way. They're asylum seekers. We also want to talk a little bit about the Andrew Cuomo interview with Rita Crosby this week. You can hear us at 770 on your old-fashioned radio. You can hear us in Ford vehicles for the foreseeable future because of an agreement by Ford to continue carrying AM radio in their cars. And that's largely thanks to a nationwide effort that was begun right here by John Katzmatidis to try to make sure that AM was still available. And you can also hear us on the app or WBCRadio.com, and you can always get a podcast version of this at the Red Apple Podcast Network. We have Christian on the other side of the glass, Kevin helping us out. I think Ava's going to be here to take the calls. It's great to have you here. Things, a lot of very kind notes. I mentioned last week that both of my parents were in the hospital. Uh, my mom, Fran, is out. She's doing a lot better. My dad's out of the ICU, still there at Methodist Hospital, kicking around and um, eager to get get out. He's pretty clever. They had a a nurse's appreciation kind of ceremony downstairs in the kind of the court court uh, courtyard of the hospital. And my dad, who's eager to be discharged, said, "Why don't I go down and you know ask? Why don't I go down and show show them appreciation?" They said, "Well, you're plugged into all these different tubes still. Hopefully, he'll be out soon." And another thing I got a bunch of notes about, you know, I described the last couple of weeks, I I banged up my back playing hockey. I hurt it by trying to get back on on the ice too fast. And then last week I came in and I said something mysterious is going on that it no longer, my back doesn't hurt anymore. That's almost completely healed, but I'm getting pain in my pelvis and pain in my thigh. And my, my mentions in my text filled up with people of, who were listening, who said, you've got sciatica, stupid. And I looked it up, and then I asked the doctor, and sure enough, I have something called piriformis. Basically, there's a 
there's a nerve that crosses into your leg, whatever it is. Now, here's the challenge. Um, it only hurts when I stand up and walk and that kind of stuff. So I sit down or lay down. The only problem is the longer I sit or the longer I lay down or the longer I don't stand up, the worse it is when I do. And so I got a foam roller at home. I got a lacrosse ball. I've got all kinds of different things. And um dealing with a certain amount of pain today. But, you know, sitting here with you, it's it uh, feels pretty good. Also, to those of you who celebrate, and this is Shavuot. This is the uh, Jewish holiday that commemorates the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So it's a beautiful day, beautiful day to be here with you. Good week. Jordan had his class concert. He plays the flute as the first musical instrument. He's 11 years old, first musical instrument that he's been um, that he's been taught. And I got to admit, when they said the fifth and sixth were g- grades were going to have a concert, I'm like, this cannot be good. And I was prepared for a real cacophony. And not everyone was great, I will admit that. They're young kids. This is their first experience with music. Jordan's little segment, the fifth grade flutes, crushed it. Maybe that's just my biased opinion, but I thought they did a very good job. Um, I never played a musical instrument in elementary school because if you do the math, I'm 58 years old. If you do the math, I was in elementary school during the fiscal crisis of the 1970s, and the first thing they got rid of was like art, and music classes. I remember they gave me one of these little plastic, black plastic flutes, and the, they basically said, "No, we're all, we're all done with that." And they cut the music out. I'm, I I regret that they did because um, I really I love music, and I I wish that I I played something. Um, I love listening to music. And this week we lost um, we lost Tina Turner this week. And a, I, there was one song in 1984 that the one that kind of put her on the map. It kind of she was the second in the Billboard charts that year. What's love got to do with it? We'll play it after the break. <clears throat> um, I love that song. Now this was was I guess I was in college. Yeah, I was in college at the time, and I remember I took that song and I put it on a cassette tape. I had one of these boom boxes that had two cassette bays, so you can record from one cassette to the other. And I recorded over and over again that song onto a cassette tape. My thing that back then I would play songs and make myself sick of them by listening to them. But that was one of the songs that I listened to. That was number two on the Billboard chart that year, if you're keeping score at home, when Doves Cry by Prince was number one. But she had a lot of influence on kind of like my formation. Those were formative years for me, forming like what I liked in music. And um, she she will be uh, – she'll be missed. Um, also, catching up on the, the news of the week, uh, Mayor Adams was on with Sid. I guess it was on th- Thursday. And the mayor made some news by, uh, by saying that he was going to court to loosen this Callahan decision. Remember, I talked about that last week on the show. What I would do as mayor is go into court. Now, the Callahan decision is why we have this right to housing. It's only in New, in New York, nowhere else. I explained it last week. Um, if you want to go back and get it on the Red Apple Podcast Network, if you missed the episode last week, well, he comes on and explains that that's exactly what they're trying to do. It's very tough to get out of a consent decree. You've got to get the judge to agree. And you also, I believe, have to have the, the other party to agree, which is the Coalition for the Homeless. And I just want to make a point here. You know, there is a progressive argument for why you should do away with that right to housing, because every dollar that we plunge into emergency housing is one less dollar we have for permanent housing. And so it takes the, the power away from the city council. It takes the power away from local taxpayers to make this decision because there's already kind of an entitlement built into the 
into the Constitution. But but I commend the the mayor for um, for taking that tact. I think we do have to. I'm not saying we shouldn't be compassionate. I'm not saying we shouldn't help. I am saying that only New York City has this right to housing that's been decided by the courts and enshrined in our laws. So let's go to some of the numbers of the week. Uh, by the way, if you want to get in on the calls, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're going to be talking about Memorial Day today. And um, But first, let's start with some of the numbers of the week. 2062. That is the number, that is the number of city bike rides I have taken. And I mention that because this was the 10th, Wednesday was the 10th year anniversary of City Bike. For those of you who are not New York City residents, it's a, it's a system where they have bikes on the street. You get a membership, you go unlock them and return them. These bike stations, they're all over the place. There are 30,000 some odd bikes you can take around. And um, 10 years ago, they came on and there were about 30,000 was the highest number of trips we had in any week. This two weeks ago. 867,840 rides. And I'm going to say this. I think this is the most important mass transit improvement we've had in the city in a generation. Because think about it. Maybe not all of those would have been in a cab or all of those would have been someone taking their car. But certainly a lot of them were. And even if they, you know, even if you... Take half that number and say that's the number of trips it would have been in cars. That's less congestion, less pollution. So happy birthday to City Bike. Uh, next number is six six dollars per person. That is what the average food stamp or SNAP benefit is six dollars per person per day. So figure two dollars per meal. That's one of the numbers of the week because one of the things that's been proposed by the Republicans in Congress to solve the debt crisis that would increase the the debt cap for debts we've already incurred, but let's try to cut SNAP benefits by 20%. And so, and by the way, if you've heard the new, they, they want to have a work requirement already, 65% of people on SNAP already work full-time jobs. $6 per person. That's to keep uh, children from being hungry. Next number, 300,000. That's how many people they think were listening at the high on Twitter when DeSantis announced he was running for mayor. A total of 3.4 million had uh, listened to the recording of it as of Thursday. You might have heard the part of the story that it was a debacle, that it didn't go off on time 20 minutes late, that crashed, and they had to do it again because he did it on Twitter, on something called Twitter Spaces, which is radio. And I mentioned this to John Katzmatidis the other day. If DeSantis had just announced it on radio, pick a radio station, we're the most powerful one in the nation, and just announced on radio, he would have he would have reached as many people without any of the glitches. And it's funny how this high-tech company now has a service, which is basically radio, where you go on and you broadcast to the public what you want to say. Everyone's making a big deal, like, oh, this is such a bad start for DeSantis. No one remembers, except in the, the most unusual circumstances, remembers how someone announced that they're running for president. It's not that big a deal. He's running for president. We'll talk a little bit about DeSantis when, when Curtis Lewa comes in for left versus right at the top of the hour. And here's a good one. So last Sunday, um, I'm on the air Saturday, so this counts as news of the week. Set three men with seven Cy Young plaques to their names participated in a doubleheader at City Field. Max Scherzer played the, the front hand of it. He, he has, of course, the Cy Young in uh, 2013, 2016, and 2017. 
Justin Verlander puts the second leg of the doubleheader. He has Cy Youngs in 2011, 2019, and 22. And then just for good measure, Shane Bieber, um, who won it in 2020, was pitching for the Guardians. And if that number's not interesting enough, how about this? They played both games in four hours and 36 minutes. That's how crisply the, the whole doubleheader went, four hours and 36 minutes. And to make it even better, the Mets won both games in kind of exciting fashion. And now the final number of the week is going to bring us to our conversation about um, Memorial Day. And and work with me here. This is going to take a little while for me to get to this thing. Nine. That is the number of times that Rita Crosby, who is the co-host of Cats and Crosby every, uh, every weekday at 5 o'clock here on 77 WBC Radio, nine times in various different forms, she asked Andrew Cuomo on Tuesday, is there anything you would have done differently? That was her question. And so why do I raise this subject? And I want to talk a little bit more about Andrew Cuomo's appearance with Curtis. Curtis and I really agree on this to a great deal, but I, I'm particularly animated by it because I didn't get a chance, unlike Curtis, who's on basically every five minutes. My dad, talking to my dad in the hospital, he says, did you see that Curtis is going to be on all weekend? I'm like, Really? So, yeah, and, and, and I looked at the ad in the New York Post. It does kind of say that Curtis is going to be around all weekend, but my dad interpreted it to mean all 48 hours. Anyway, so the reason I bring up that Andrew Cuomo was asked that question is because at no time did he give any version of yes or no. I mean, I guess he gave only versions of no because he never kind of acknowledged anything that he would have done differently. He was asked about it in terms of these interactions with women. He was asked about it in terms of the of the nursing home scandal, and he refused to do it. And that is a, well, a well-worn tradition with politicians, not to say they're sorry, not to say they got it wrong. And I say this because I was always eager for the questions about me to be posed in that way because that's the easiest version. All of us, we might not have like regrets, but there are things that we would have done differently. And for me... It was to vote for the authorization of use of force in Iraq. I was one of 81 Democrats that voted yes. We, we weren't. There wasn't a majority of Democrats, mostly Republicans and 81 Democrats. And it was an enormous mistake. And it was a mistake that came back to haunt me politically. When I ran for mayor in 2005, Al Sharpton said I can never vote for Wiener because he's a Iraq war Democrat. But as soon as I realized that this was a mistake, I immediately said this was a mistake. I regret it. I would never do it the same way again. And when you say that, usually people honor that. Yet politicians don't say it enough, and I don't think we have said it enough about the Iraq war. You know my pension for numbers. By the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-8222, and I think Ava will be taking your calls. Did I give the number wrong? 800-848-9222. So the Iraq War, we had 4,431 fatalities, American servicemen who died, 31,994 who were wounded. There were 300,000 at least Iraqi civilians who were killed. And how about this? Since September 11th, suicide has claimed four times as many military lives than combat has. More than 30,000 servicemen have died at their own hand. And the cost in dollars, geez, just pick a number. 
at least $2 trillion. I've seen numbers as high as $3 trillion. And you know, 1.8 million, I know this is Memorial Day, so we honor those that have passed, but let's keep in mind that because of the improvements in healthcare and battlefield healthcare and healthcare in general, many more that would have died have not, but they came home with serious disabilities. There's something called the Brown University Cost of War Project that tracks this. 1.8 million U.S. veterans today have a recognized disability as a result of, po- of the post-9-11 wars, and that's Iraq and Afghanistan. About double the disability rate from earlier years. Americans who served in the military after 9-11, 40% have a, for- a service-related disability. 36% have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And 20%, listen to this, 20% suffer traumatic brain injury. Remember all those stories about IADs blowing up on the side of the road? Traumatic brain injuries. And so as someone who was in Congress at the time, and I'll play a little clip when we get back of the speech I gave, it made sense. It's not like I was, it's not like I was, you know, deluded. But I I did a lot of amazing things for my constituents. This was a mistake. This was something I really regret. Did I have explanations and reasons when I was called into the map room in the White House and I had Tenet, the head of the CIA, hand me this big aluminum pipe and said, you know what this is? I said, it looks like a big aluminum pipe. He says, no, that's that's a part for a nuclear weapon. I'm like, it is? He said, absolutely. And this was recovered um, Smuggling, being smuggled into Iraq, and there's more like it. It's not that, I mean, I was lied to. And as you'll, as you'll hear in my, in, 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 I mean, I'll, I'll play a little bit of my remarks. It's, look, when I, when I went back and I tried to answer the question, I said, well, why did I make this mistake? I had some good reasons. But this brings us to something I want to talk about after the break, and we're going to talk about it with Curtis as well, is like, at what point, do we hold elected officials truly accountable when they make mistakes like that? People make mistakes. But one thing you don't do, I believe, if you're an elected official who made a mistake, is continue to admit, no, I would have done the exact same thing all over again. Because that tells your constituents and that tells the listener, I, you learn nothing. What did I learn? I learned in that that administrations lie. What did I learn? I learned that intelligence agencies are not that great. What did I learn? I learned when they put out an Iraq report, I should read every last word of it, not just the highlights, not just the parts that are being focused on. And today, within the sound of my voice, are thousands, if not tens of thousands of family members of those who were wounded in that war and those who were lost in that war. And that is, to them, I can never, I can never make amends. We're going to talk a little bit more about this and the heroism that we commemorate on Memorial Day. And we'll also talk a little bit about some of the politicians who did pay a price for getting it wrong. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. So great to have you along on this beautiful day. And we'll see you on the other side. Finding new ways 
to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Tina Turner bring us back in. That song in 1984. So my, during college, during the summers, my, my folks had this summer home in a place called Highland Lakes, New Jersey, within the sound of my voice for sure, in Sussex County, New York, by the New York border. Um, beautiful community. I kind of, you know, people would tell me the stories about summers in the city, and I was so lucky that Morton Fran had that little house. And so I would I would get summer jobs. And so during that, so, you know, so a lot of, you know, it's amazing how music does this. It brings you back to a place. Like I remember driving, I think the name of the restaurant was the Hayloft. Um, and just playing a, a tape of that song over and over again in 1984. Pretty good year for music. When I went back and looked how high it got on the chart, um, Cindy Lauper had a couple of great hits. Obviously I mentioned that Prince had the number one song. It was, it was a good year for music. Anyway, getting back to the conversation we're having about accountability and talking a little bit about Iraq War Dead, you know, if you remember this, and I'm sure many of you do, it was essentially was the, it it, it was post 9-11. So those of us in New York were particularly amped up and particularly looking to, looking for what to do and also looking for someone to blame. The Bush administration had made the case that, look, Saddam Hussein, had weapons of mass destruction, was prepared to use them. And it's not so much that I found the argument persuasive, but I found the argument that we had, you know, we had had so many intelligence failures that led to 9-11. And now people who are opposing military action, what they were saying is, well, our, our intelligence can't confirm that he has these weapons of mass destruction. I thought that was contradictory. I said, yeah, we're never going to get it completely perfect. This is a little bit about what I said on the floor that day. How much does it cost? How hard is it to strap nerve canisters to a terrorist posing as a tourist and have him walk into Times Square or into the National Archives? He doesn't need an ICBM to reach New York or Washington. Saddam Hussein just needs a chance. I will vote for the resolution, but I say to the president that I am voting for all of it. I am voting for the part that encourages that all diplomatic measures possible be taken, including a final round of inspections. Use of force as a last resort must truly be a last resort. 
And to my colleagues who seek disarmament and con concession for Saddam, as do I, I would urge you to consider the need to demonstrate with no uncertainty that we mean business. The best way to avoid the use of force, I would argue, is to authorize the use of force. So that was the rationale. That was the rationale that I used and other people used. Listen, President Bush, we're going to give you this authorization. We're going to let you have the muscle, say the Congress is behind me, and that perhaps that threat would be enough. But it was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. And, you know, I said that 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 frequently politicians refuse to say, I'm sorry, refuse to say they got it right. You know who refused to say they were sorry and refused to say they didn't get it right? Hillary Clinton. If you remember in 2008 when she ran for president, Barack Obama, who was this young, inexperienced guy, was able to neutralize any time Clinton or her supporters said, you can't put this young, inexperienced guy in charge. He would say, whatever my age, whatever my experience, I got it right about Iraq and you got it wrong. And that was a pretty devastating attack. But for me, the mistake that I made um, was entrusting another elected official, the president, was to some degree believing intelligence that turned out to have been just made up. And I wasn't the only one, but that doesn't change the fact that it's okay to say, listen, I blew it. I got it wrong. And we don't honor those that were lost in that war if we don't learn the lessons. And the lessons are we should be very suspicious. And we see that suspicion today. We see it as part of our conversation around Ukraine. Now, I'm, I am, to me, the hugest difference in the world here is you're not authorizing the United States to do, to put a single man in, or woman in, in harm's way. We have our ally doing the fighting for us. So it's a different scenario. But still, the suspicion and something else, and this is a point that Kitty made, something else, I think that it lar to a large degree bred some of the conspiracy theory craziness that we have in our body politic today because a lot of people believe that government lies. I mean, every time they do it, it makes it harder for the next time. But there are a lot of people out there now who are suffering from, Ill from illnesses. They're suffering from wounds. We lost thousands of men and women. And the mission changed. You remember we caught Saddam Hussein. We were stuck there for years after because we were standing in, a, in the middle of, of a civil war between Shia and Sunni. Iran wanted to gain influence. We wanted to help prop up the, 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 the Sunnis, and, and it was a debacle. And for that, I apologize. I got it wrong. Let's do some calls at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. At 3 o'clock, Curtis comes in for left versus right. We're going to talk a little about the Cuomo interview. We're also going to talk about um, what's going on the migrant crisis. You know, Curtis has carved out this space where he kind of is able to find out before anyone else where there is that these migrants are going to be going and situated. I think, it's frankly, we've made too big a deal about that and not the, the larger questions here. But all that being said... Um, let's go to some calls. First, let's begin with Sal in Staten Island. Sal, thank you so much for checking in. Anthony Weiner, I'm going to bring up, first of all, as an American Marine combat veteran and my American Marine mongrel, who I saved from the death of mean streets of New York and trained him myself, he was in dangerous situations with me as a gift from God. American Memorial Day is memorializing American war dead and those who died in peacetime and accidents and such. That said, I challenge everyone in the sound of my voice, courtesy of 
Mayuchi and Marconi to do something good for American veterans. The dead are gone. God rest their souls. It's 66% of the homeless men and women in America are American veterans and 13,000 American veteran suicides every year. By the time your show is over, a brother American or sister American veteran will have committed suicide. God forgive them. I do what I can, but I'm not God. I'm just a guy. And we, I challenge everyone, go to a federal VA nursing home. Go to a New York State or New Jersey nursing home and help the veterans. Bring in toiletries, American-made. Bring in a change of clothes. Bring in some heartfelt cards. Listen to their stories. Offer to help any way you can. There's a state one in uh, Woodbridge, New Jersey. There's one on the grounds of a federal VA nursing home, a state VA nursing home in Hollis, St. Albans, Queens, New York. And there's one in Northport, Long Island, near the Hamptons, below the Connecticut Sound. If people go to sporting events and Broadway, then do something and make it count. You can still have your barbecue, your pool party, your pond party, your beach party, your alfresco dining. You can still have a day trip or a weekend trip. But this is only the second day of a four-day, four-day, a nice, not as much vacation, but memory. it's a solemn occasion, a solemn, and with God's grace, we can make a difference for the better. I've been doing this since 1962 as an American cadet junior scout that my grandmother enrolled me in at age two. And the bottom line is we have to make a difference. And by the way, you brought up Barack Obama. Yes, he did oppose the Desert Shield, desert, or rather the uh, – of the Iraq war. But then when he became president, Anthony, he escalated 130 fresh U.S. Air Force troops to Afghanistan. And the second month he was in, 130,000 fresh troops to Iraq. Now, but, but Trump has a big mouth, but he kept us out of war. And Biden, with that pathetic, disgusting, uh, 13 of my brother American Marines and sister Marines were killed and $100 billion of weaponry, which is in the hands of evil ones, al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the rest of those scums, may they burn in hell. The bottom line is we have to avoid war. When we have to go to war, we have to, but not end up uh, Bush and Cheney, Obama and Biden. Well, and I appreciate that. I'll tell you something about Ron, De- Ron DeSantis is a combat veteran, and he would be the best president. Because he knows what war is like, and he would keep us out of war. Sal, do you want to— strong militarily. That is, that's, that's a great summary. Sal, do you want before you hang up, do you want to give us the name of one of your comrades that was lost in war, just to say their name over the airways today? Detangio, Riley, Rodriguez, and many more. One of them, third, one decent man died 13 feet from me. And I'm in a wheelchair with my dog and my American Marine mongrel pulling me in the wheelchair. But we still go out every day and help veterans and help the homeless. Well, we appreciate, Sal, on behalf of all of us here at 77 WABC and all the listeners, for the sound of your voice, we're grateful for your service and we're inspired by your words. Next, let's go to Dan in Long Island. Dan, thanks for hanging on. It's going to be a tough act to follow, Anthony. That's for sure. That's for sure. I'll give you a little story about Memorial Day. My mother uh, was sitting on our porch about five or six years ago, surrounded by her 12, 13 grandsons. They're all about the 20s. They're all at their devices out. And my mother started talking, and she she lives on Eastern Parkway, and she said, oh, "We had an amb- we had a, uh, a, a a unit on the end of the uh, Eastern Parkway where the, every morning the the priests and the chaplains would go out and they would start driving around to Brooklyn to to, to tell everyone who would just start and get the notification about a death. And as as they left, everyone would be frozen in fear. She says, and one day we were outside playing hopscotch on Eastern Parkway, and they stopped in front of our building." 
and all the mothers came down and scooped up their children. And now, now all the all the grandchildren, she had their attention, and they stopped looking at the devices and they listened to my mother. My mother looked in, looking sky, which said, and the priest and the chaplain got out, and we all know what it meant. There was a beautiful young Polish kid, American, who was a paratrooper, and he, we we had known he had dropped into Normandy, and we and my mother scooped this up and told us to sit on the couch and be quiet. And 80 years later, I can still hear that woman screaming as she was told her only son was not coming home. And the kids were just sitting there because they because they don't teach history anymore. Nobody knows about these things. They don't tell you what this means. It's just numbers. It's not a story. But I said to the rest of the kids, and I go, that was one of 450,000 mothers who got that visit. Yep. Think about that. Yep. We Think don't know. That's a that is a. A great story, and that was going on all over the place. You know, like literally from coast to coast, we've had instances where a representative of the chaplain, a representative of the president of the United States, would come and present a letter, and also pre- present this this news. I mean, that's what Memorial Day is about. And you know, look, I mentioned that we have fewer fatalities in war, but we have many more injured in action, many more disabilities, many more people coming back with traumatic brain injuries and PTSD, things that weren't even counted in past wars. So I know this is a holiday that we dedicate to those that were lost in war, um, but it's also important for us to to take a moment to consider those that did return but were greatly diminished. And, and as I was going through the statistics, looking up statistics for how many that were lost as a result of the war, I kept coming up with these glitches, I thought, on the Internet where it said someone would die in 2020 or 21. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, the war was well over then. It's because they died from injuries that they sustained back then. And that's important for us to remember. Let's go to a break. and We'll come back. We'll pick up with some of the other issues of the day. This is a Memorial Day issue of the middle. I'm here till 3 o'clock. Then Curtis Leo comes in and joins me for Left versus Right. It's a beautiful day outside, and we're trying to keep some of those who were lost in war in our heart. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Anthony Weiner. That's Ethel Kane bringing us back in. That's a song called American Teenager, and I chose that song today. Because in 2022, you know, Barack Obama does this thing where he puts out his list of his favorite books and his favorite songs, his playlist, because he's so hip. You know how hip Barack Obama is. And, I, you know, and many people commented at the time 
that they don't think he listened to the song because that's, you know, I let that play to the, you know, it's an anti-war protest song. Like that lyric, that last lyric that played, the neighbor's brother came home in a box. He wanted to go. So maybe it was his fault. Another red heart taken by the American dream. Um, you know, it was mentioned by a previous caller. You know, Barack Obama also kind of campaigned on this notion of change. He got sucked in. He had it because once, you know, once you break it, you bought it. We had more tra- troops going into Iraq, more to Af- into Afghanistan. I did an episode where I focused a little bit on the on the blame that can go around about the Iraqi, about the Afghanistan withdrawal. And a lot of blame can go around. That was an outrageous deal that was negotiated by Donald Trump, giving up 5,000 Taliban soldiers, not getting back our, you know, not getting back who the guys that, that we had been held, getting no agreement on anything, and then setting an unrealistic deadline just because he wanted them to be out by the time he, the, that Biden took office. But all that being said, the theme of this is remembering them in the way that politicians should remember them, at least in my case, who voted for the Iraq war, or at least I voted for the authorization, was just say you're sorry and try to make amends. But let's go to some other subjects. But a lot of people still want to talk about this migrant program, and so I want to be here for that as well since it's a pretty nuanced thing. Let's go to Don in Long Island. Don, thank you for checking in again. Sure, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, good. And I wish your parents the best. Hope they're up and around soon. Thank you. Um, sure. I wanted to talk about the migrants. Um, I'm not a big Biden fan at all, to say the least, but it's a reality. The migrants are here, and we need to do something about this. And I was just wondering, maybe you're into this where we could do something as we did during the Depression, create the WPA, something to put these people to work. We have to vet them, of course, first, make sure they're okay, they're here, you know, without any any baggage, so to speak. But, um, you know, we have to do something. And I thought maybe, you know, creating programs for them to to get them to work would would be a good idea. Yeah, I I mean, Don, Don, you're you're not wrong, and I appreciate the call. I mean, one of the challenges is under the existing law for asylees, they're not supposed to be working while they're here waiting for their asylum application to be processed. The problem is that law, like so much of the immigration law, did not contemplate a three or four or five year wait to have your asylum hearing. So I think if people are concerned about the cost and the expense, look, let me make one one point here. And I'm, I'm going to mention this to Curtis as well. This happens all the time. We have big waves of immigrants that come in, and we all scream and shout and say that we don't want them here. Happened to my parents. It happened to your parents. It goes on. I mean, it's the old cartoon, the guy walking through the turnstile at at Ellis Island, turning to the guy behind him and saying, get out of my country. So, but one thing that Don points to that I think a lot of people are starting to agree with is at least let these people have the ability to work because then if there are jobs, if there are migrant if there are migratory jobs, for example, in the agriculture industry, which is desperately short of workers, in the service industry, in, in other parts of the country, they would be able to work. You know, when when DeSantis tricked these people to get onto a bus to a tra- to a, a flight to Martha's Vineyard or to a, a bus to Martha's Vineyard, one of the things that we were told he, he he the people were told to get on the bus is that there were jobs in Martha's Vineyard. They didn't they don't want to go to Martha's Vineyard. They couldn't be forced to go there. And that's the one abiding thing that they want to work. Um, so that's one idea. But yeah, but again, you got to change the law to somehow to do these. I mean, I know they've been petitioning Biden to make this change. He can go ahead and order it. 
order that change, someone's going to go into court and sue him and say that this is not allowed under the law. So we'll we'll see how um, we'll see how that goes. Next is Adam and Mineola. Adam, thank you so much for hanging on. Hey, how you doing, sir? Um, first of all, I give thanks to all the veterans that put their lives on the line for us. Um, the migrant situation to me, sir, is just kind of getting out of hand, and I'm trying to figure out what can Congress do to stem the flow for them even coming over here like that. Like it's just they they coming in waves. Yeah, I, you know, I, don't I have enough to, to, no, no, ahead. you're you're right, Adam. I'll tell you what they can do. A couple of things. One, we have to be more supportive of these countries when they're having problems within their own countries. We should be more willing to invest a few dollars to save a lot more later on. Like, for example, we the, you know why we have so many Venezuelan um, migrants? Because we crushed their economy. We don't like the fact that they had a left-wing socialist government there. I didn't like it either. So what did we do? We, we put an embargo on all of their oil. We, um, we uh, uh, destabilized their economy. They went into hyperinflation. Now no one has work. No one can afford to buy a loaf of bread. And now we have migration. So one thing we can do is try to be helpful to these countries in their countries rather than have them come here. No one wants to cross if – they, if they can avoid it, no one wants to cross five countries to get to the United States if they can avoid it. Second thing that they should do is they should allocate more funds for administrative judges and administrative officers to have hearings on these asylum cases at the border. Right now, these Republicans who are anti-immigration say we're not going to invest anything in helping process these people. We don't want them here. Well, just putting your head in the sand isn't going to solve the problem. A third thing we can do is we can set up a temporary worker program for these people. Right now, you know what our immigration laws do? They keep people in. They don't keep anyone out. You know how many people we have here? 13 million some odd undocumented people here working every single day. They're sending money home every, you know, every month. A lot of them want to go home and see their families. A lot of them want to go home and maybe stay there and come back in a couple of, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a different season. Because we don't have a, um, a temporary worker program. I mean, these things are solvable. They, you know, I, I did an episode of um, of The Middle Unplugged, which is a podcast that I do, about this. About you know, And I also did a, a radio show about this. These problems are not unsolvable. The problem is Congress has to do it. And you want to build a wall? Fine. You want to build a fence? Fine. You want to have more of that stuff? Fine. Uh, it doesn't change the asylum problem, though, because these people are presenting themselves lawfully. They're showing up and saying, I'm, I'm here to declare, to, you know, I'm, I'm eligible for amnesty. I'm here to declare. That's why whenever you see them get off a bus, they're holding a piece of paper in their hand. That's from the United States government with a date when they have to return, saying that, they're, that they have the protections that go with being an asylee. Shouldn't take so long, though. Let's go to Robert and Mass Speaker Roberts. Go ahead, pal. Hey, Anthony, I uh, met you a couple of times at the Ferry Hawk game. Um, I, I think I do have a cure for this, and I think that both sides could agree that if we brought back landmines and we put them on the Mexican side, and when the folks go back to their towns and they're unable to play uh, soccer or unable to close the door with a, no arm or a leg, it would really slow down the migration. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Actually, that's not a terrible idea, except why on the Mexican side? Because they're coming into our country. Why would you put them on the American side? Because that's our country. We put mines in our country. People put mines in their country. We're not in charge of the Mexican mine laying administration. They're illegals coming into our country. The other question I have is how many have you brought in? 
Who me personally? How many have you brought into your? Yeah, how many have you brought into your apartment for your young son to sit next to and maybe have taco night and, and compare stories? To? Oh, hey, Robin, I mean, you, if, talk if a, you, you talk a good game. But no, you don't hey, Robin, that's that's exactly wrong. I was part of the group in Congress that sat down in two thousand in in uh, in two thousand nine eight eight I guess it was this whole gang of eight and said here's the deal we'll do for the for those that are undocumented and I said yes if you're undocumented here's what you have to do if you can show that you pay taxes because you have a social security number if you show that you didn't violate the law if you show that you've learned English you're contributing to society you're not taking away from it we're going to fine you and put you at the end of the line that's what I proposed I think that's a great idea. And the Republicans said, oh, no, it's amnesty, 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 and we never get anything done. It's not amnesty if they have to pay a fine. Robert is Robert's right. He said like, about one thing. The, the, the solution, it's not putting landmines. I mean, it's funny how people like Robert said, let's put fences and landmines, but let's put them in, in, in Mexico, not put them in the United States. We're, we're, this is our country. But he is right about something. There are solutions to this if we can agree upon them. And for the most part, it's been Republicans that have said no. Let's go to a break. We'll come back and wrap up. It's a Memorial Day edition, uh, more Day weekend edition of The Middle. It's great to have you along. We'll see you on the other side. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And welcome back to the middle. That's the Smiths. Andy Rourke, basis for the Smiths. He also passed away this week. And he will be missed. So we're talking about an interesting cocktail of issues today, and I'm trying to figure out a way to weave it together. One way to put these things together, this notion of service, this notion of sacrifice, and the conversation about immigration, is there are a lot of these so-called dreamers, these people who came into the United States as a young person, unwilling to travel on their own, but their parents brought them in, and they've lived their entire lives here. They don't have a country to go back to. And there are efforts in Congress to give these dreamers a pathway to join the military. Um, And frankly... We have a, a very, very diverse military with a lot of first-generation immigrants that are, that are there. But, you know, look, what, it, what it, these things come down to is that they're, they're hard issues, and I know this is a little bit of a cliche, but when we talk about those that have laid down their lives on the battlefield, they've laid their, them down for the flag that all goes with that, and that goes for being a democracy – a country that stands up for freedom, a country that believes in the rule of law. And sometimes we ask them, we order them to go into battle. They follow their president. They follow their commanders. They do what Congress tells them to do, and we make bad decisions on their behalf. And I made one when I cast a vote to authorize the use of force. But if you want to bring it around to the conversation we're having about migration, Those that have served in the military know that that is a a veritable chef salad of different ingredients from all different parts of the world because that's what the United States of America is. Frequently, the best jobs that are available for recent migrants is to work in the is to is to be in the military. I mean, immigration is never not 
and is never not a complicated issue. It always is. But we always figure out a way. We figure out a way because it's so integral to who we are as a country. You know, this notion of people coming here for amnesty. Well, sometimes we've turned around boats. We turned around the USS St. Louis during World War II, or before World War II. I mean, sometimes we don't accept. We've had this problem for, for a while. Now, people say, why don't, they, why don't people come into the United States the way my parents and grandparents did? Well, that's what these people are doing. Our parents, my great-grandparents, showed up here and said, we're, we're economic, we're religious, we're refugees. We're a country that's made on refugees. But the present system is unfair to the migrants. It's unfair to the places that they're being settled. It's unfair to everyone because this is a case of Congress just not doing their job. I know we want to blame Biden. I know. I mean, Donald Trump didn't – he had a chance to, to fix the immigration system. He didn't do it. Build a wall, build a wall, build a wall. Fine, that's fine. You've got the – by the way, he, he said the other day, I built the wall. I mean, really? Okay, in that case, why do we still have this problem? But you want to build more walls? That's fine. But Congress has to figure out what to do with all these people that are coming, and the system is now choking because of what Congress won't do. They won't give us the money to support them. They won't give enough hearing officers and enough judges to decide whether they're true asylees. They won't change the law to allow them to work even temporarily. They won't do any of these things. And so the situation gets worse and worse. And that's not the way we honor the sacrifice of those that came before. least we can do is get a government that works every once in a while. It's been great to have you along in the middle. Like I said, it's a beautiful day outside. Curtis is going to be coming in at 3 o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit more about these issues. And one thing I can say to do, and this is something that an earlier caller suggested, which is a great idea. We have fewer and fewer war veterans from World War II. There are fewer and fewer of them. If you know one, take them aside and ask to hear some stories. Um, Go to your local VFW, your local JWV, your local uh, Catholic war veterans. Go to a local post and read some of the plaques. These are the things we can do. These are all men and women, mostly men, but men and women who have sacrificed for us so that we can be here doing the things that we're doing on this holiday weekend. It's great to have you along. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. Stick around at 3 o'clock for Left versus Right. And may God bless the United States of America.